The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about really getting in touch with who we really are. And of course, when we fight for love, we fight for love for ourselves as well. And when we fight for love for ourselves, we can be loving to others in that same way. And I've been reading this book, which is a wonderful book, by Paul Selig, who's the author of I Am the Word. The book is called The Book of Freedom. It is the third book in the Master Trilogy, and it's a channeled text. For those of you who have read Course in Miracles or have read something similar, you'll see that it's very different, and we're going to talk about that now with Paul. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. Paul Selig is considered one of the foremost spiritual channels working today in the world. His work has been featured on ABC News Nightline, Fox News, the Biography Channel series, The Unexplained, and more. His six channeled books, including I Am the Word and his most recent, The Book of Freedom, are published by Penguin. Paul received his master's degree from Yale and served on the faculty of NYU for more than 25 years before devoting himself fully to his work as a channel. He leads workshops and live stream seminars internationally, and his website is paulselig.com. You can also learn more about him at conflicthealing.com, where we link to his website, and you'll see a JPEG of a of his book, and also his photos. So we're just thrilled to have you join us all the way from New York. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us, um, some people may not even know what it is to channel. Can you explain what it is to channel? Well, I take dictation. That's how I describe the form of channeling that I do. It's a form of clear audience or... I suppose you could say, you know, telepathy, but I I sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I'll begin to hear one phrase repeated um, incessantly in this sort of other voice that doesn't feel like my own and has a different texture and cadence. And once I give that phrase voice, speak it aloud, all of the other language just keeps piling out, and that can go on until, you know, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour until my guides say, thank you, you know, stop now, please. Mm. Um, so I'm taking dictation from another level of consciousness. That's the best way that I can describe it. It's clear audience isn't for me hearing another voice in the room. It's actually a thought that blocks out all other thoughts and carries a significant and resonance. 
that I then, you know, align to and then give voice to. So, Paul, do you do something to get into that state? I mean, do you have like a protocol or something to get into that state? No, not anymore. I mean, I, I suppose I do. I mean, when I when I work publicly and when I work dictating a book, but the books are now done publicly before audiences. So, you know, I, I work with the prayer protection, and I've just been doing that forever um, because I like to work in that field. And I imagine myself climbing into the back seat of a car and turning the steering wheel over to mm. whatever the energy is that works with me. But really, it's very immediate. Um, I'm like I call myself a radio, you know. And <laughs> if you ever, you know, turn the dial from one station to the next, you just have to turn the dial an infinitesimal amount, and suddenly you're in another broadcast. And that's what I'm doing when I'm channeling. I'm switching the radio I am that I am to play another broadcast. So, you know, the moment I'm willing to do it, it's generally available and present and doing its own thing. Mm. Now, are you also a psychic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, although I would never have been comfortable calling myself a psychic until... You know, the accuracy of the way that I worked became evident. They call me a medium for the living. So I'm, I have this odd ability to step into other people that I've, you know, never met. Or, I mean, if you were to come to me and you're saying, well, what's happening with my sister? I'm estranged from her. I can usually step into your sister. I may start to look like her, and I can hear a broadcast of her consciousness that may address, you know, the estrangement with you or, you know, why she's been out of touch or what she's needing. And you can do these at different levels. You can do this at the level of personality, which is this is why we always fight. And you can go to a higher level, which is this is what we're really needing from one another that we're not giving one another. Or this is what we're really learning through this. So the psychic work that I do is often at that level. I'm not the guy to give you so give you your, your lucky numbers or to, to contact <laughs> your deceased relatives. There are other people that do that work well. But, um, you know, the empathic work that I do, I tend to somatize other people's emotions and and disabilities at times and expressions and take that on as part of the way that I read. But yeah, so that's my practice. And my guides come in to discuss the information that I'm accessing psychically unless they just want to talk to the client themselves. And sometimes they'll just let it rip. Um, but yeah, that's another part of my work. So who who are these guides? Do you have any idea? I mean, I do um, at this point, but it's 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 an odd thing to say that I'm unattached to, but I'm strangely sort of unattached to it. I call them the guides, and you know, people know them as the guides because my ex, many years ago, when my ex found out I could do this work, used to say, "Ask the guides this, ask the guides that," and so that was a convenient name. The name that I've been given periodically, and it's in. A couple of the books now where they've announced themselves, um, they've used the name Melchizedek, which is an old name, and it's a, a collective, it's a priesthood, um, and they say that they're here to teach. Um, I've had some visual phenomena attached to them where I've been able to see somebody um, clairvoyantly, but for the most part I experience it as energy and voice. I'm primarily a clear audience and a clear sentient, and those are the abilities that I work with. First and foremost, when I'm channeling, the visual information usually comes in to support that. So when we talk about these guides and they give you a name, are they 
they're obviously in a different um, dimension, right? Because you don't see them. Are they, I mean, do you see them as extraterrestrial? I guess they are extraterrestrial. Um, do you see them as maybe from, you know, a, a planet that's more evolved? Or do you see them as something like, you know, uh, messengers of God? Although they do seem to say that they're not talking about religion, but they are talking about love and Christ and God. Um, how do you see them? I see them as teachers. Okay. You know, I don't see them. I've nobody's ever announced themselves as being extraterrestrial. Once in a while, they'll speak of the species or your species. Made, you know, given me pause sometimes. But I think that they're really of us. They say they've been doing this work with us for a very, very long time. Yeah. The new stuff that they're teaching. But there's what's different about the way that they work through me, and I think that this is important is that there's an energy that comes with the teachings that's palpable. When I do workshops, when I do live streams, when people read the books, you know, there's actually a whole kind of palpable phenomena that's become associated with this stuff that's their work. You know, I can take the dictation, but the energy that comes through that's impacting people at this level is, is really something other. So I, they don't speak to dimensions. They do speak to octaves of music, and they say they operate in a higher octave, which I suppose is the same as dimension, but it's not. that's not how they qualify it. They say any piece of music can be played in any octave up into infinity. There really isn't an end, and what they're really doing is lifting us to what they call a higher octave in a, and in a re-articulated energetic state, to be able to support a higher awareness on on this plane that we share. So that's their work. And that's how I understand them. The one that I've seen in meditation and under hypnosis has come through quite specifically. You know, he has a long beard and bright, bright, beautiful blue, beautiful blue eyes. And, um, you know, wears a, a big, tall hat. You know, it's quite interesting, and, and a robe, and, you know, it's it's very interesting to me. When I first had the phenomenon of sight, I was surprised, um, but I recognized him. I recognized it as the energy that I feel like when it's speaking through me, and there's a thing that happens when I channel um, a specific attunement that the guides would give the students in the room where they sort of face them individually and sort of reclaim them in a higher vibrational accord, you know, I've been told again and again and again that my eyes turn bright, bright blue, and I have hazel eyes, and I don't huh. wear blue to sort of mirror that. I tend to wear black just because I've been doing it since I was a punk rock kid in the <laughs> 70s. So, you know, that's my experience of them, and that's about all I really have to offer. You know, thus far, I suppose, if they keep teaching through me, more will be revealed. Now, when did this all start? Well, I mean, it, it came in increments, truthfully. I had an opening when I was 25, and I started seeing little lights around people after that. I'd been raised pretty much an atheist, um, you know, and I think I didn't even know what a spiritual life was. Um, I started to have some experiences of, of phenomena once I began to open up to the possibility that there was something more. Um, I ended up studying a form of energy healing and found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I could access information for them that would be provable. 
and that was exciting to me, and I could feel the energy, and that was exciting for me. So I had a little group that met in my apartment for the better part of 18 years. We'd put up some chairs and sit in a circle, and people would put 10 bucks in a basket, and that's what I did. And I wasn't looking to be known for this. I didn't have a website. When I finally got one, I didn't have my name or my photograph on it because I had an academic life that I was hoping to preserve. Um, but that's how it began. And when I quit smoking, finally, I'd been a heavy cigarette smoker. Um, back in about 2008, my abilities really took off, and the guide started to lecture through me. And long, long lectures, you know, that would then be transcribed. And, and it was fascinating to me. And then the books began to come shortly thereafter. Mm. Now, did you have um, an experience like a fall? Did you have any brain injury or something that no. that would have gotten you kind of connected? No? I, no, no, I don't think so. I mean, I what I did have was an experience that people later said sounded like a spontaneous Kundalini opening, but I didn't even know what Kundalini was at the time. I There was this thing happening, people were calling it the harmonic convergence. I heard people were going to be waking up, and I thought, well, if there is a God and you ask to be woken up, why would it say no? So I went up to the roof, and I asked, and I had a crystal and a mantra, and I thought you needed those little things to, to wake up. I was 25 at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. But I had an experience of energy moving through my body that was profound, and, you know, up through the base of my spine and up to the top of my head that kind of left me frozen. And the little light started shortly thereafter, you know, so I always connected it to that, to that time. And I think for me it was an opening, but if nothing else, it was a palpable experience of something more than I had an intellectual context for that allowed for me to go on a journey that perhaps I would not have gone on otherwise. Mm. But I don't think of myself as terribly special and I, or even terribly spiritual. You know, I'm not a guru and I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm really not interested in those things. But I do sit in the chair and take the dictation and do the work. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten better at being able to explain some of the teachings because I hear them so often and right. all the time. So I've gotten comfortable with the concepts. But they and and he's and these guys are really talking to you. I, I see throughout the book they're talking about Paul. Well, when <laughs> I interrupt, when I don't understand what they're talking about, I, I interrupt. It's like I said I was in the back seat of the car when they start, but if they say something that I think is just nuts, I'll lean over <laughs> to the front seat and say, would you explain that? They'll say, now Paul is interrupting, and then they'll <laughs> explain what my question is. In the early, the first book, they didn't say that. They would just tr incorporate the question. Um, and you mentioned The Course in Miracles, which I actually am not a student of. I tried to read it when I was very young and didn't make it very far. In my <laughs> 30s, I looked at it. But that was me. It's not The Course. But in the first book, they say this is not a book that's been written before. This is not A Course in Miracles. And people always say, well, are they, are they, are they dismissing A Course in Miracles? And in fact, they're not. They weren't. I had asked silently when they said, this is not a book that's been written before. I asked, well, what about A Course in Miracles? And they said, well, this is not A Course in Miracles. But my question hadn't been entered into the text, and now they've gotten smart, and they do that. You know. <laughs> right. So maybe yeah. there were other, other um, guides who came to her when she was channeling. I don't and, know. You yeah, know, it's I, interesting. I don't know. I don't know if it's about other. I don't know if it's about better or worse or different. Yeah. I, I'm not a student of the course. The one thing that I just heard this because I did a workshop in Des Moines 
this last weekend and um, recently. And, you know, somebody was telling me about the difference or telling a group about the difference, one of the differences between what my guides teach and what the Course is taught. But my guides are really teaching a lot about the divinity of form and the inherent divine that they say must be in all manifestation, including the body. Um, and I was told, well, that's a little bit different from how the Course addresses this. And that's just a different teaching. You yeah, know, and all I, was, I know is what comes through me. Yeah, and I was telling you that for me, Every time I sit down to read the Course, I fall asleep. It's just so heavy, you know, and I have to think about every single word, mm -hmm. whereas in, in your channeling, I can understand it more. I, well, I get good. it. Yeah, my, I do. My assistant's a longtime student of the Course and has, you know, come to the work that I do, and, um, you know, I respect it, you know, I and especially you know, given the time that it came through. And I think, you know, the, I was a college teacher when this began. I'm no longer teaching college. And I know that the Channel for Course in Miracles was also, you know, a professor. And, you know, it's not always easy in a, in a more traditional world to come out and say, well, you know, I hear voices and I, this, is, this is what they say. I mean, in my case, you know, the voices are publishing entire books that don't need editing. It's just nuts if you think about it. But, right. You know, there's there's some credibility that's been offered at this point, and just because I've been so consistent, but I imagine 30 years ago it would have been a tougher road for somebody. Right. And what's interesting about what you're talking about is in the Book of Freedom, uh, they talk to you about not caring about what other people do and do, yeah. being who you really are. Yeah. And so that's what you did which is yeah, beautiful. Yeah, what I did, yeah. And, you know, for me, as an attorney mediator and wanting to do the kind of spiritual work that I want to do, it's I'm also in that place of, oh, my goodness, I have to, like, not worry about what my people in my profession think. So it was, the book is really talking to me as well yeah. as it talked to you. Mm -hmm. Now, um, when, when we talk about the Book of Freedom, um, what is, what is really, what do they mean by freedom? They keep saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, and I love it. Uh, what are they talking about to you? Well, they're talking about the true self or the aspect of the creator as you, that aspect of the divine that's seeking its expression as you, that is free and is always free and is even free of time and the mandates of time or, and all shared collective agreements. We're living in a common field, the guides say, a common octave, you know, with highs and lows, but it's still a shared octave of experience. And the rules that we inherit about who we can be and what we are and what is possible are all coming from this historical base of separation, really, that we're separate from our source and we're separate from the aspect of self that knows who it is. So the claim, I am free, I am free, I am free, is really I am free from the rule of the collective. I am free from the rule of fear. I am free from the rule of, of what can be. I mean, the guides say we're kind of punching holes in the false ceiling above us to realize what's always been there, that we've frankly been somewhat prohibited from experiencing because of our complicit nature to the limitations that we've inherited. Right, and they talk about, oh goodness, here, I'm going to turn this off here. Uh, they talk about um, that there is an agreement, that when we are in fear, that we have 
an agreement to be in fear. What do they mean by that? Well, they say again and again and again that the action of fear is to claim more fear. And you've got to kind of agree to it, you know. Now, I think that there's a difference between, you know, you're at a campsite and all of a sudden there's a grizzly bear, time (laughs) to move away from the campsite. What you don't do is you don't vilify the grizzly bear, you know. I mean, you're not frightened of bears. You just happen to be getting away from one in an act of self-preservation. So the guides say, look at every choice you've ever made in fear and see what it got you. And you'll see that, you know, by agreeing to fear and then you choose in fear by nature of that agreement, you've got more fear. And it's pretty fail-safe, you know, it really is. So we're, we're always in energetic alignment, they say, to the reality we know. So everything in the room that you're sitting in right now, you've agreed to. doesn't mean you bought it or you chose it, but you, you agree that it's there, whether it's the paint on the walls or the view out the window. And the guides would say, well, that also extends to everything that you can conceive of that you can perceive. You know, you agree to it, so it's at a level of vibrational accord where you can know it. Now, when you lift to a higher octave, they say you're lifting beyond fear, and you stop agreeing to it at that level. The true self, as you, is unafraid and knows she's free. So by not agreeing to fear, you're no longer claiming it in the landscape or the the field that you express in stops reflecting it back to you. And when, when we do that, then they go back to we are aligning with freedom rather than yes. fear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, the true self is not afraid. It's not right. Simple. And so let's let's talk about the true self versus the the uh, the false self, or I guess it would be how I perceived it was the ego self as opposed to the higher self. Is is that a good analogy? Well, they don't use the word ego much. No, they I talk know about they don't. Personality as a structure. Right. Right. They talk about the personality structure. Um, And they say the true self, they call it the Christ itself, but their definition of Christ is the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form as who and what you are, or the eternal self. Um, Maybe higher self is is another way to describe this, but I've had an odd sense that that's also something a little bit different than what what they call the monad, you know, which is the, the, the aspect of God that is aligning to you, through you, as you, at the cost of the old. The higher self, I think, is always with us on that journey in an active state. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong here. And I, they talk about it in the most recent book, but I, I don't know it well enough to be able to go back to it. So the true self, they say, is the eternal self. And the small self, they don't call it false self very much, the small self is the idea of who we are. That's all. It's just the idea of who we are. You know, I'm a guy. I live in New York City. I'm such and such an age. And these are the things that come with being such and such an age or voting in a certain way or, you know, having this kind of upbringing, these ways that we know ourselves that are really not permanent. Right, right. The guy would say what's true is always true. And the personality self is really just a compilation. Right. And, and this true self is the self that gets reincarnated or never dies or goes on and on? They say that's the soul. The soul progresses, they say, through lifetimes. 
and the soul is illumined through the divine self or through the the Christ itself. You see, the soul is is brought forth in a higher way. The soul the soul is an expression of the divine, and the soul learns. Um, but my understanding of the true self is that it expresses through the soul and through the body, if you want to incorporate form, because they say you really can't do this while you deny the body you've taken as being of its source, which they say, you know, is God. I mean, basically they say, you know, if there is God, it's all things, not just the things that you would like to make divine. They say, you know, everything is holy, but you have to realize that in order to to know who and what you are. Right. Now, your guides say that humanity is at a time of reckoning. Mm -hmm. So um, what does that mean? Well, they've said, you know, a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations, and that those things that have been claimed or created in fear need to be recreated or renown or realized in a higher way. And they said this back in 2009 or 10 when they dictated the first book, and it's been playing out pretty evidently, I think, you know, especially recently. So, you know, they're saying that every structure that we've inherited that is fear-based, which includes government and religion and, you know, banking, all the economics, how we treat one another, you know, all of these ways that we've divided ourselves from the ones beside us are actually being re-understood, re-comprehended or shaken to their, to, to, shaken to their roots you know, to clear out the stuff that is no longer applicable to who we're becoming. I mean, the guides say, you know, we've really created the means for our own destruction through our belief in fear. They say, you know, we, you know, we, you know, the idea of building a bigger bomb to stay safe to them is ludicrous. They say bombs are meant to go off. But we have choice, you know, and until we become willing to accept the fact that the one beside you, whoever that may be, even if you don't like them, is also of the same source. Um, we're going to have big problems. You know, all of this stuff is born in a belief in separation that's being perpetuated culturally, I think, and, you know, economically and politically, certainly these days. Yeah, and they go, what I love is that they go right down to the individual. They say, if I look at somebody and they go, okay, he's tall, dark, and handsome, I've already made him separate from me instead of seeing his true self or her true self. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that I thought was really beautiful that anybody can understand that because mm -hmm. we, we are separate. As soon as we judge someone, we're separate, right? Well, they say you can't be the light and hold another a darkness that simple. Yeah, yeah. That simple. Well, we only have about another minute. So mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to ask you, what is probably the most difficult part about what you do when you work with the guides? It, channeling is not hard. Being the channel and wondering why this has become my life is more challenging because it's not, you know, I'm still... I'm, again, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a spiritual teacher, you know, I'm this guy that shows up. And the fact that it's coming through me is the most challenging, but I'm, I'm coming to accept that it has been so consistent and that I'm, 
I'm benefiting in many ways from this in my own life and my own development. So I'm grateful, but the challenge is still the same. And the fact that you were, you know, a NYU professor for so many years and coming from Yale, I think they chose you because you have credibility, you know, to choose someone who doesn't have that credibility would not necessarily have the, um, the influence that you would have. So I think well, that's part of it, right? Yeah, but you're also, I mean, I, my, my, my publisher, my first publisher was very fond of the fact that I had gone to Yale and I wasn't wearing a turban, you know, with a big crystal on my forehead. But some of that's still sort of buying into the idea of what things should be and what is. I, was, I, I came with a pedigree, which is true. But, and I'm grateful for the pedigree. It allowed me to teach college and support myself for many years. But I think if I was chosen, and the guy would say, I agree to this, it's because I had a heart that wanted to know God. And mm-hmm. at one point in my life, I was able to say, if this is for real, this is really for real, I want to know it. Beautiful. And show me how. And I suspect that they're giving us all a way to go there if we want it. Oh, I love it. That's a perfect way to end. Paul Selig, thank you so much for your wonderful books and I especially now have to read the rest of them but I love the book of freedom and this is a channel text and just give your website and it's time to go Paul Selig P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G dot com well thank you so much and we will stay in touch have a wonderful day bye bye you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net I'm Mari Frank join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com thanks the opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI its management or the UC Board of Regents